Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. So continuing with my motherhood theme of the month, today I'm sharing my conversation with Natalia Segoviano, who is the creator of Chapina Building Wealth, formerly Mom Money Boss. Natalia is just amazing. She is so smart and real, and her story is one that I feel like so many of us can relate to. And it's inspiring. She took her life into her own hands and instead of stressing or feeling like she can't do anything about it, she moved herself forward. She took steps and she moved forward. This is such a great conversation. I know you guys are going to absolutely love it. So here's a little bit more about Natalia before we jump in. Natalia Segoviano is a money coach who specializes in teaching women, moms, and people of color how to level up their finances. Her passion for teaching finances came out of her own financial journey. In 2018, she was in $18,000 of credit card debt in addition to student loan and car debt. In 2017, she became the primary breadwinner in her family, and at that point, she knew things had to change. Thanks to financial literacy, she was able to become credit card debt-free in 2021. She now supports her family of three on one income, which is less than $100,000. Pretty cool. She's on track to become a millionaire before the age of 55 and being able to retire not only herself, but her husband as well. She did this all by creating a financial plan, and now she helps others to do the same. In our conversation, we talk about burnout and why it's so important for moms to prioritize themselves. We talk about imposter syndrome and the need to move through it in order to empower not just us, but other women. We talk about being the breadwinner and feeling into what works for us, not everyone around us. We talk about gender roles, etc., and so much more. You guys can find out more from Natalia at her website, which is chapinawealth.com. So that's C-H-A-P-I-N-A, wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, all one word, dot com. And you can find her on Instagram at chapina.buildingwealth. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes as well. All right, you guys. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the incredible Natalia Segoviano. Enjoy. Hi, Natalia. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So I love what you're doing. You are making such an impact on women in this world and teaching them to be mom money bosses like yourself. So I want to just jump right into it. I'd love to have you start by telling everyone about yourself and the work that you do. Yeah. So my name is Natalia and on Instagram is where I do most of my sharing and business. Um, It's mom underscore money underscore boss. And, you know, my Instagram just started as like a, a way for me to share my budgeting journey because I started budgeting in the end of 2019. And I was on this journey um, by myself, really, of just trying to figure out how to get myself out of $18,000 of credit card debt, 
at that time, I still had student loan debt. I still had a car payment. So <laughs> it was a big mess. And um, I didn't have a budget. I didn't know anything about budgeting or saving. I had no savings. Um, and just to be here at that time, I was in my early 30s. I already have a daughter by that, you know, that time. And I was also the breadwinner for my family. My husband became a stay-at-home dad what in 2017. So it was a lot of pressure on me to kind of get it together <laughs> because mm-hmm. I needed to support my family. And I had this big dream of moving us out of our one bedroom little place into a house. And so, you know, I, I had to put a plan into place and that's how it all started. It was just me, you know, wanting to share my budgeting journey. And then I started really to get a hold of all the money things. Um, I took an investing course that just kind of I feel like that's what opened up the can of worms for me. And once I started to learn about investing and how easy it was, I was like, oh my goodness, what have I been waiting for? And so little by little, you know, I, I made a debt payoff plan. I, um, you know, started saving more. And then when COVID happened, you know, I think it really, I was very blessed because my job continued. Um, I work for the courts and the courts did not close. And so we just kept going. I worked from home for two years. And so I think in a lot of ways, it was a blessing for us to be able to do that because, you know, that was the only way we were able to save, right? We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. I even sold my car that at that time was paid off and I used the money um, to pay off my student loans. And then I only had my credit card debt to deal with. So we're officially a one car family. And that's how I've been able to kind of make all of it happen is just based on those things. Um, but I'm the breadwinner and it's been a lot of pressure as a, as a woman, as a mom. Um, and so it's been a long journey of adjusting to this, how would I say like this role, um, and trying to release a lot of the control that I, as a type A person, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like I need to have control. So that's kind of how everything started. Oh, I know that need for control very well. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners know that need as well, right? It's it's this kind of feeling of maybe inner chaos and we want to try to control the world around us in order to make us feel better, but it tends to backfire, right? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the questions I have, well, first of all, I really want to talk about being the breadwinner, but we'll go back there in a okay. minute. But why did you want to share your journey? Just out of curiosity, because I know that's a very vulnerable thing. And I personally, before I started the podcast, struggled with it as well. I started it during during the pandemic because I was lonely and I wanted to talk to people and I wanted to get it, get my voice out there. I couldn't keep it inside anymore. But I think I hit a breaking point in that. And I think there was so much inside me that I wanted to get out and I wanted to share with the world that I just couldn't help it anymore. But I'm curious what was sort of that catalyst for you? So the interesting thing is for maybe the first year of my, my, my page, it was actually private (laughs) and it was just my family and friends. And, and so what I really wanted when I started was just to teach my family and friends what I was doing. And so right before the pandemic, I actually had um, like seven friends over to my house and we did like a budgeting and wine party. So I taught them how to budget. Mm-hmm. And we had some wine, just like my closest friends. And that was really it. I was like, I want to teach you what I'm learning because this has been life-changing for me. And that's how it started. It was just me and my friends. And then in 2021, I was featured on um, Personal Finance Club's page. 
And so he told me, you know, if you want to do a Q&A, you have to put your, your page as public. And I was so scared. You know, my, I could feel like this, you know, when something like drops into your stomach, Oh yeah, <laughs> it just felt like this, just, oof, can I do this? Am I willing to do this? Am I willing to be so open and have so many people know my business and my numbers, right? And so I decided to go for it. And so my page went public. Um, I had a ton of followers from that from that post. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it all started as far as like sharing with everybody. Um, it's still, I'm still adjusting. I'm still thinking like everybody that I talked to is in California. <laughs> so now I have people, I have clients all over the United States, which is yeah. crazy to me still. Awesome. I just, yeah. yeah, you know, like I, I just feel like I'm living somebody else's life right? It's still a little bit of like, um, I don't know, like twilight zone thing to me, because I never, I never went into this with the intention of becoming an entrepreneur. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was a very happy nine to fiver, you know, and I would just do what I'm told and I would show up. And, and when, before I took that investing course, I was like, you know what, I'm, I don't care. I'm never going to retire because, you know, I love my work and like, what am I going to do? You know, that was my, my mindset. And I'm like, now I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> So it's yeah. just, that's kind of what the catalyst was for me was just wanting to help my friends and family. Um, and then it just kind of one step by step, it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm so glad that you were vulnerable enough. You kind of moved through those insecurities that you had to put yourself out there because I always think about this, like you just never know who's going to see it and yeah. who's going to be so inspired by it. So I think we, again, as women tend to, to your point, do what we're told and like to stay quiet, but we shove a lot of things down. And I think as a result, we're not doing ourselves or our, you know, collectively women as a whole, any help or any good if we stifle our own voice, right? So you, I'm sure as a result of just doing that one scary thing have inspired so many people, which has got to be such a cool feeling. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think like my, you know, I, I always want to teach and I'm always like, I need to, I need to teach, you know, like, I don't, I think I, maybe I don't think about it as inspiration, but yeah. more, more like, you know, I want to get you motivated because you can do this too. Like, I know what it's like to be on the other side. And sometimes I think it's because I don't give myself enough credit. And I know that that's a big thing I've dealt with, right? Like I've, you know, with my business coach, with my therapist, they're like, you need to learn how to celebrate yourself. You need to learn like the power that you have. And I, I'm still <laughs> learning how to do that. Um, it's, it's hard for me. It's yeah. hard for me too. I get that yeah. so much. Yeah. It makes me really uncomfortable. Like my coach will give me all these comments or like these like compliments and I'm just sitting there. She's like, you're so uncomfortable. Huh? I'm like, yes, I'm so, I'm so mm -hmm. uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, but I love doing it. I love when people are like, oh, I, I did this because of you. I started budgeting. I paid off my debt. I did a high yield savings account. I started investing, you know, like all the, I, I, that like getting those messages, it, it like lights my fire. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, this is why I do it. You know, I do it because I want whoever sees this message to take action and take control of their money and, you know, really start to work to build wealth. Yeah, I bet seeing those success stories and hearing the shifts that people mm -hmm. have gone through since 
since working with you or since just seeing you, it has to be the most fulfilling thing. You're like, oh, okay, this is why I do this, right? At the end of the day, you got to go back and kind of remember your why. Like, why did you start? Why did you start doing it? It's because of this. So that is so cool. You touched upon imposter syndrome. Yeah. A little bit. You didn't name yeah. it that, but I think that's what we're we're getting at, right? Because I yeah. feel the same. I, I'm the same way, right? I I struggle to give myself credit for anything. And I tend to feel like, well, wait a minute, I don't really have any business doing this, even though I may have so many years of experience and I've checked all the boxes and I have this accomplished and this accomplished, but yet I don't feel like to an extent I deserve to be in this place that I'm in or be talking to this person or have this platform. I don't deserve it. And it's like, do you ever stop and question that? I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's what I'm trying to do right now, yeah. slowly kind of through my own work and sharing it on the podcast. But I think for so many women, we just keep going, right? Especially moms, because we have to, we have people yeah. that need us. We've got stuff we need to do during the day. And we're on this constant treadmill, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And we don't ever or very often anyway, hop off to actually check in with ourselves. Do you think that, do you agree with that? Do you think that's the case too in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't until, um, I mean, I I dealt with a lot of burnout because of that, um, because I was giving and giving and I I wasn't really taking care of myself. And it honestly wasn't until I went to Mexico for two weeks um, at the end of last year that I finally like slowed down. Um, you know, before the pandemic, I was like this person that was like always busy. Things were always on the calendar. We were going left and right and everywhere. And then it it made us slow down. Yeah. And I think it really, I didn't know what to do with myself because I'm the kind of person that needs to be feeling like I did something all the time, you know? Yeah. And so I'm slowly starting to peel that back in a way and learn that rest is okay. That doing nothing is okay. That I don't have to be productive all the time right? Especially to feel good about myself. And so last few months, that's really what I've been working on is working on things for myself. So things like journaling, things like uh, reading, um, working out again, which it completely fell through, you know, during the pandemic, I didn't, I couldn't work out. And that was like my, my safe space. I've, I've been working out since 2012 in CrossFit. And so, you know, I think now I'm slowly learning to do that, to look, to really prioritize myself. Um, But you're right. I mean, I started out with a lot of imposter syndrome. In fact, um, I remember so, so clearly one of my first one-on-one clients, I don't remember, like she was trying to pay me or something. And she's like, what should I put you down as? Like, what's your title? And I was like, I don't know, (laughs) you know, like, because she was just literally all of my first clients were people that I know personally. And so to me, I was just their friend helping them out. Yeah. That's it. You know? And she was like, what should I, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, and I just said money coach. Cause that's all I could really think of at that point. And so even that made me feel like money coach. Like I just started doing this, you know, like right. who the heck am I like, and, and for a long time, I stuck to only the things I knew because I don't want to be preaching about something I don't know about. Right. So for a long time, it was just budget, debt and savings. That's it. And I was like, that's all I'm going to do. When I started learning about investing, it took me a long time to feel comfortable saying I can teach you about this because I felt really insecure about my capability to do that. And sometimes I still do. Right. I'm, I mean, I didn't go to school 
for finances. Like I have a BA in history, you know, I work in the legal field, like nothing to do with money. And so a lot of my knowledge has come from the courses I've taken, from the books that I've read, you know, from all the podcasts I've binged for hours and hours. And so I still feel a lot of that imposter syndrome. And more recently, it's more from the teaching about investing aspect, because that's such an for me, it's something I just learned about, right? Like for a long time, I thought it was just something rich people did. Um, I didn't think it was something for me. I didn't think it was something for, you know, people that I knew. I'd never heard anybody talk about investing, anyone in my life. So right. it's like this whole new thing. So yeah, a lot of imposter syndromes, sometimes still. I hear that. And I agree. I, I, I'm i in the same boat. I do feel like I have a lot of that. I have a lot of that in my day job, because to an extent, even though I have the credentials, I ha- I am a certified financial planner. I can talk about all of this. I feel like maybe because mostly I was the first female lead advisor in my firm. It's a small firm, but I really thought I was kind of blazing trails there. Right. And, but yet I didn't realize how much struggle I would have being surrounded by a lot of men who are very good at this. And I tend to think, sometimes I tend to even think like, oh, okay, well, they know more than I do. They're smarter than I am around this. Or maybe I I doubt myself, right? I doubt myself and I still struggle with that. I still do. We tend to not trust our intuition. We think, well, I'm because this person has maybe this advanced degree or this particular experience in this one area that we should trust them. But this whole process for me is learning how to trust ourselves and to be comfortable with ourselves, regardless of whatever the credentials are. And that's really part of the, that's part of growing up, I think, is just putting yourself feeling like you can actually live up to your true potential, right? And believing in yourself. And that's not an easy thing to do. I wasn't taught how to do that. That's for sure. It was always kind of stay in your lane, Megan, like you do what you're good at and focus on that instead of kind of, you know, trying to be more than that. Right. I don't know if I'm explaining this in the best way. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think I deal with imposter syndrome on different levels at work. I definitely do because I am a paralegal. I work with a bunch of lawyers. I'm Latina. I'm one of the only Spanish speaking people in the office other yeah. than our translator. Um, I also wasn't born here, right? I came here from Guatemala. So I think for me, it was like, I don't know how to be here. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, am I in this space? I'm not, you know, like they know so much more you know, they're smart. And like, you know, I, I always have to question the things that I'm doing because I don't fully trust what I'm doing. Now I've, you know, gotten to a point where some things I'm like, oh, I know I'm the pro at this, you know, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it still creeps in, especially in the beginning, um, because you're with a lot of people who are h- highly educated, you know, and they talk in a lot of big fancy words, <laughs> And uh, sometimes you're not really like, you know, all catching on, but, you know, little by little, I think I've started to feel more confident, I think over time, at, at least at work. Yeah. And and I do think that to some extent, the fact that we are so much more in tune with, with our feelings and our emotions is in these things that are popping up for us, that to an extent puts us at a little bit of a 
disadvantage, I feel like, because those who aren't aware of it don't talk about it. They're not vulnerable enough about it. So I think I'm not saying that it's the right thing for the long term. I mean, clearly, like there's a lot of things that need to be worked through everybody on their own. But I think being being sensitive like I am and being so emotionally intelligent can, mm. can can impact me in different ways, I think sometimes. So, but Hey, you know, I think that ultimately the goal of this is to be able to empower myself and therefore then be able to empower other people. And I don't think we can do that without being, without being open and vulnerable and raw and sharing and, and authentic. And if you're just going to close yourself off to all of that and pretend to be somebody who you're really not, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not, that's not how businesses run. That's not how, you know, friends are made. That's just not how connections happen. Right. So again, the things that I'm learning, (laughs) it's a process. So let's dive into being the breadwinner. This is a super juicy one. Uh, And I, I love talking about it. Actually, one of the things I actually, I've done a whole episode specifically on the concept of being the breadwinner and there's a lot of emotions that come into that because that's who I am in my life. Right? My husband lost his job, three jobs in a row, actually, started during the pandemic. He's working now. I'm, you know, making more money and I'm I'm the one that handles the money. I'm the because that's what I do, right? That's my thing. Yeah. So I I'm the one that's sort of like making the decisions for the most part. And there's a lot that comes with that. I think we have a lot of this girl power pressure from culture, right? That telling us like, you can do this, you can do this. And I I don't doubt that necessarily, but I think we don't also recognize the other side of this too, that that's scary. And there's a lot of emotions that go into on the other side of it that go Mm -hmm. into, into this. So I personally grew up watching all the Disney movies and believing that when I grew up, I was going to have a prince come and sweep me off my feet and take care of me. And I would live happily ever after. And it was a big shock for me when I realized that that isn't happening. That's never happening. And I had to come to terms with that. I am curious how you've processed that as well. I actually had a very different, you know, I guess, viewpoint as I was growing up. And um, I think for many reasons, it was kind of easy for me to fill the role. So um, my dad died when I was 11 and my mom was a single mom of three for a long time, Mm -hmm. uh, for most of my life. And so I always saw my mom go to work every single day. We always had everything we needed. We had, you know, we had plenty of money. We went to private school. Like, I mean, we were middle-class, but, you know, she always found a way to kind of, put us ahead. I mean, we went to um, private school our entire lives, me and my sister, my brother is handicapped. um, And my mom has always been able to provide for all of us, right. Mm -hmm. And I think when I grew up, I always knew that I was going to be independent. I always knew I was going to be the one that handles my money. And I wasn't ever going to let a man, you know, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I always grew up with the, I don't need a man in my life. Like I got me, you know, yeah. um, and that I was going to take care of myself and that I didn't need anybody. That was the way that I grew up. Right. And so I had a lot of just like, you know, 
parentified and, you know, very independent feelings for most of my life. So then coming into the role was not very difficult for me because of that, because I was already like, yeah, this is a given, right? Like me and my husband mm-hmm. always knew that he was never going to make as much money as I was. Um, and so, you know, we would joke around like, oh yeah, you know, you'd be a stay at home dad, you know, and we would joke around about it before I actually got pregnant. And then it actually had to become a reality because, you know, we couldn't realistically afford, you know, paying for daycare or paying for somebody to watch her and the money he was making, it is. And especially in Southern California. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, the money he was making working full-time at a job that he was miserable at was only going to cover somebody else to take care of her. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? So he quit his job. Um, Once I went back to work, I think I went back around, she was five and a half months. And so at that point I became the breadwinner. My husband, you know, he's very laid back and we're very, I think we're very lucky and it's very rare that our families have been very accepting and embracing and have not said anything to us. You know, there's none of this machista kind of things that the Latino community can do sometimes, but he also was, he loved the role, you know, he wanted to, he's fun. He wants to play. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. And he gets to go and take her to do all the fun things. And he loves that. So I think it just worked out for us. Um, But I definitely think that there was some hard times when, you know, he was questioning like the value that he brought to the family because he was so used to earning his own money all the time that now he was like, well, what place do I have? Right. And so, and like you, I, you know, not only make the money, but I also manage all the money. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was very different for him to adjust to not having his own money um, and to make his own decisions with what to do with the money. Absolutely. And, in you know, your stereotypical household, handling the money, making the money, managing the money is the more of the masculine role, whereas the yeah. child care and the, all the, everything that comes with that, all those, when we're really looking back at kind of gender role norms, which I don't agree with, but that unfortunately is still kind of, there's a stigma still in our culture around that. Yeah, it really, it, it can, it can get to you. So I'm sure, you know, d- during this time, you know, this was over a course of a couple of years that my husband was kind of in and out of work. I think there was still a lot of kind of societal pressures on him to feel like he needs to contribute and that maybe it should be even. And I, I personally didn't care. I was never putting the any pressure on him. I just wanted him to like, I knew he was unhappy, not working. He mm-hmm. couldn't, he's not meant to be a stay at home yeah. dad or the yeah primary caregiver that's just he just gets bored and I get that and I I get that because I'm not either I love working and I need to do something that's fulfilling that's just beyond kind of giving of myself all day long right and as much as I love I have two boys that are four and six and they're and they're awesome they're incredible little people and I honestly can't imagine my life without them however I couldn't be with them 24 7 either and so I understand both perspectives on that as well. But yeah, I mean, we live in a culture that's still to this day, we're making progress, but we're still not there in terms of the equality when it comes to gender roles. And the interesting thing is that I found, you know, the people that did make comments were people from work, usually from my job. Yeah. And it's interesting that even though, right, like the traditional 
female role is to be at home and the traditional male role is to be the working parent, whatever, that even when that was switched in my household, that they still expected him to be the one that was like, oh, so he cooks every day. Oh, so he cleans everything. And I was like, um, you know how hard it is to have a child 24 seven, like it's hard. And I told him from the beginning, I don't care about keeping this place spotless or everything perfect. I'm, I want you to engage our daughter in activities that are happy and stimulating and memorable for her, right? That's what I want. I want you to just have fun with her and enjoy the time, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it. I was like, that's my, you know, and now that she's older, it's like, you know, help her with her homework and play a little and take her outside, you know, do things for her that she can have fun. I mean, I think it's such a blessing that we're able to have a parent with her to do that, you know? And so I think it's just the, the different expectations. And as a woman, I, I always question like, do, do like, cause I see the stay at home mom's friends that I have and they do so much. Yes. And I'm like, And I'm like, what is happening? Like, you know, like, why are you cooking like three meals, different meals a day? And like, why are you doing this? Like, I'm like, you can sit down, like, you know, and that's something I was so my husband. It's like, you know, like I'll pay for the food to get made. I don't care as long. My thing has always been as long as he supports me and backs me in whatever I do. I don't care if he ever works again. Mm -hmm. I am on track right now to make over a hundred K on my own. And I know that I, I love to work and I love the two jobs that I have right now, right? Like my full-time job, I love it. And my side business now obsessed. And so I have no problem being the breadwinner long-term. I don't, you know, see why he would have to go to work unless he wants to, which I don't think he does. He wants to be like an entrepreneur, but you know, it's just what feels good for us. And that's what we've always stuck with. Yeah. I love that because that's where we need to be at. That's, that is the ultimate goal is like what works for us, not what works for society, what works for our in-laws, not what works for the neighbors or other people who we think might be looking from the outside in at us, right? Like we need to focus on what matters to us and, Mm -hmm. and, and let go of that judgment. And sadly, there still is going to be a lot of judgment because that's just like, unfortunately the world that we live in, but the more comfortable we are with ourselves, the easier it is to just sort of brush that off and just not have that be part of like, just honestly, you do you, that's how I am. Like, just focus on you Mm -hmm. like, just mind your own business. You don't need to worry about how other people are making it work and, and just do you right. Yeah. You just touched on something that is really important, I think. You said, you know, that, well, is your husband also doing the dishes and doing the laundry and making the meals and all this stuff? Like, and you don't expect him to do that, but other people do and culture expects us. So when you flip it, right, if if it was a mom who wasn't working and it was a stay at home, like, you know, I'm saying in quotes, just a stay at home mom, she would be required to do all of those things without question. So I think it's like, let's just recognize for a second, the unrealistic expectations on mothers these days, Mm -hmm. right? It's incredible. Like we're expected 
to do all of these quote unquote, again, gender role roles within the house. So the cleaning, the cooking, the taking care of the kids, the laundry, all of that stuff, while also, you know, juggling work if you want to work and all kinds of other challenges that come with life. And I think um, I was actually having a conversation with a woman who runs a mom Instagram account the other day, and she has a mental load checklist. Yes. And it's like three or four pages long. Mm -hmm. And I love it because it allows you to actually see on paper everything that there is to do in a household. And whether that's planning activities, scheduling doctor's appointments, shuffling the kids around, doing all these things. It's so incredible when you actually look at it. It's three or four pages long, like just a list of to-dos. You want to know something funny? Yeah. When, even when you're the female breadwinner, that mental load does not stop because I am still the one that makes all the appointments, that sets up all the classes, that makes all, you know, the planning, like driving. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that is, you know, it's still heavy on me sometimes, but I've been learning how to like ask for help more. Yeah. Um, Have you ever watched the movie Fair Play on Hulu? No, but is this based off of the book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it talks about that, like the mental load. And I was like, that's exactly it. Like as a woman, as women, I feel like no matter what role we're in, whether we're the stay-at-home parent or whether we are the, you know, the one that's working, it's like the mental load is primarily on us most of the time. Yeah. Right. And so it's really like exhausting and like my brain, sometimes it just feels like I, I can't get it right. Yeah. Oh my God. And then, (laughs) and then you throw on the internal pressure that we put on ourselves to try and get it right. Just an example, this week is um, spirit week for my first grader at school. So every day they have something Monday, it was pajama day, Tuesday, it was crazy sock day. Then it was, oh my God, um, like favorite sports team day. And today is each grade it's crayon day each day each grade has a different color and of course first grade is purple he owns nothing purple like it just he just doesn't and so we start stressing like running to see like to see what we have in like the dirty laundry pile is there anything that we could potentially wear and then running out to like the store to see if we can find anything purple it's purple for much there's just not yeah. um but it's just so it's like why, why are we doing this to ourselves? Why are we making this such a big deal? You know, you want, we want the kid to fit in. I think a lot of it is like our internal expectations that we're projecting out onto our kids. We don't want them to, to not to be wearing yellow when everyone else is wearing purple, right? We want them to fit in, but yeah, it's like, we're the ones thinking about this, right? The, the, all of the moms. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it that's just one silly example, but it there's there's so many so many examples of that during the day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know with when I what I've seen because I know a few of my friends that are stay at home moms, like they do too much. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they do. They clean all the house. It's always clean. They're, they're the ones that do all the laundry. They're the ones that do the cooking. They're the ones that deal with the kids all the time. And I'm like, like, what? You know, it's just, and you know, like to the point where I've seen 
them like put out the clothes for their husband so that their clothes and their boots are ready and pack their lunches. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I pack my own lunch. My husband does help me cook some stuff for myself, you know, and like whenever I'm in a rush, but I don't expect him to pack lunches for me every day or have my clothes set out for me. You know, I'm like, that's just so weird to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, why is it that women feel the need to do that? Or that like, it maybe it's expected. I don't know. Do you think that some of those women that kind of, you know, to in our perspective, go above and beyond, do you think yeah. they're burnt out? Do you think that oh, they're- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know they're burnt out. And, yeah. and I actually was having a conversation with another person who's does her whole career is based on burnout and research around burnout and how we can prevent it and what the symptoms are and all of that. And one of the things that we came up to, like, as we were kind of talking through this all is a cause of burnout. One of the big underlying causes of burnout is struggles with our own self-worth because Mm -hmm. we feel like in order to be worthy or good enough to an extent, and I'm not necessarily saying that's the case with these people, but like, yeah. it certainly it, I feel that myself mm-hmm. big time. We feel like we're not worthy if we're not in service of other people all the time. Yeah. yeah. And it's and to me, it seems so unfair as yeah. like the breadwinner. Actually, you know, there's this one case I always remember. I was working with someone who her husband was a breadwinner. She was stay at home parent but she was the one managing the money and they had a lot of debt. And I remember we were looking at her budget and, and he made a good money, you know, and he was spending two times what their rent was on his cars, oh, but wow. they had $25,000 in credit card debt. And I was like, excuse me. And she's like, wow. yeah, but he's the one, he's the one that makes the money. I was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, just because he's the one that makes the money doesn't mean he gets to spend it all. You guys have debt. And the what I always tell any stay-at-home parent that I work with is when you and your husband decided that you were going to stay home, it was a family decision. It was not a decision just made by one party. It was something you both decided. Right. And therefore, you both have to work towards your goals, especially when it comes to paying off debt that you both created, right? And I think that like, especially if you are the earning, you know, partner that you still have to set up your partner, you know, have retirement investments for them. Mm-hmm. I have a, a Roth IRA for my husband and I'm, you know, have his own money and his own things because I'm like, I don't think it's fair to have only one person just because they make the money to be able to be kind of like free for all. Well, if you ever see people going through a divorce, and you actually want part of the process is that you have to, and I only know this because I have a CDFA certification and it's to be able to work more closely on, with clients on the process of divorce, like the financial part of it. And, mm-hmm. and the first step is kind of gathering everything, right? So it's having knowledge around what you have, what you own, what you owe, what's coming in, what's going out. And when it comes to kind of determining things like alimony and child support, even if you are the stay-at-home parent and you don't have income outside the household, the work that you do has value to it. And Mm -hmm. it is accounted for, Mm -hmm. right? So like the fact that 
that this, the stay-at-home parent exists and stays home allows for that other spouse to be able to make the income that they do, right? Yeah. So if that person, if the stay-at-home spouse didn't stay home, that other spouse wouldn't be able to do that, right? So you kind of have to look at it more equitably when it mm -hmm. comes to, and that's that that's relative to sort of, you know, next steps when it comes to lifestyle and and how they're going to be compensated appropriately for covering lifestyle expenses and everything going forward. But I think it's really cool, at least that it's being recognized because, you know, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe I think, again, it's a cultural thing that it's not the, the value there isn't being recognized. And, and yeah. this goes back to something else that I wanted to, to mention that like our culture does not value things that don't make money. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was just literally talking with my therapist about this yesterday. And it's like, we put this pressure on ourselves to try and make money and make money and make money off of something. But like some things you don't, you just don't need to put a price on it. You don't need to make yeah. money off of it. And there's still value there. But yep. it's more of like emotional value. It's more, it's, it, it's harder to quantify. Yeah. That's what I was, I was literally thinking that I was like the amount of value that my husband brings to my life because of the peace and the balance that I'm able to keep because of him being home, that in and of itself is like, you know, worth more than I could ever make. You can't put a price on it. No, no, exactly. You know, and that is what I truly value. And I've always wanted from a partner. It was like, as long as you support me and all the crazy things I do, <laughs> I'm good. You know, when I was, you know, working out six days a week and training for a half marathon and training for a CrossFit competition, he was home with her. Yeah. You know, and I was doing all these crazy things because I wanted to at that time, you know, he was there. And now when I'm working, when I need to have meetings for my business, he's there. Yeah. And he, he holds it down. He'll take her out all day so I could do my meetings so I can have the time. I mean, that to me is like beyond. And that is the only thing I could ever want from my partner. You know, I, I think it's just perfect. <laughs> I love how much you recognize that and appreciate that. I think if you don't, and you're not constantly kind of showing that appreciation, yeah, it can be difficult in certain yeah. dynamics to feel maybe resentful or underappreciated. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that is communication again, is key to like a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage, but yeah, I, I think you are absolutely approaching it in a healthy way and allowing, allowing your husband to also feel like he is adding value to this whole thing. And yeah. not like he's, you know, just staying home. I hate that. It's such a yeah. condescending term. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think like with, you know, just be, me being able to express it is because I am a woman. Yeah. You know, and I think many men are not able to express that or to really maybe even think about that. Right. Yeah. Like right. recognize that. And so I think a lot about that, about how the dynamics are so different as a female breadwinner versus a male breadwinner and just mm -hmm. the differences and how we think and the things we see and our emotions and what we can express. Right. Um, I think yeah. about that a lot. I'm always like, I wonder if men think about this. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I do too. And the perspectives, <laughs> the insight that we might have versus, yeah. and I'm not saying there's anything good or bad about it. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, this is amazing. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for going there with me. I appreciate it. You're being you know, vulnerable and sharing because I think this these conversations need to be had. So before we wrap up, please tell everybody how they can find you and they can learn more about you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, um, mom underscore money underscore boss. Um, that's mainly where I do everything. Um, I do one-on-one coaching and I also have a group coaching program with another coach. So that's about, you know, kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I tried TikTok, but you know, I don't have the energy <laughs> as like somebody who's like a mom and a nine to fiver. It's like, literally I can barely get out the things for Instagram yeah. and I have a newsletter that I love to do too. So even that has to take a backseat sometimes, you know? Yeah. Same. <laughs> I feel, I feel bad because I, sometimes I'm better at some things than others and it all depends. It's tax season right now. So I'm like knee deep in that, but yeah, I have a, I have a Facebook group and I haven't really been very active for several weeks in that. And I feel bad, but you know, yeah. some things have to be put aside. There's only so yep. much you can handle. <laughs> exactly. exactly. One person. So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. This was such a pleasure and um, yeah, hopefully I'll have you back. We'll have another yes. conversation another day. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.